You're listening to Season 2 of fit to be Radio, a production of fit to be Studio, which specializes in home workouts and e-courses online for those dealing with diastasis recti. Our goal this season is to connect the dots between fitness and other psychosocial dimensions of wellness. So hey, strap on your sneakers and take us for a walk while we talk, or just grab your favorite drink and get on the floor and stretch while you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to fit to be Radio. My name is Chris Benke. I'll be your host today. I've also got with us Steph Learn. She's the CEO and founder of fit to be Studio. And we have an awesome guest, Dr. Missy Gallo. She is a pelvic health physical therapist expert in a lot of different areas. We're very excited to have you on the show today, Missy. Thank you for joining thank us. You. Yes, yeah, yes, I'm so, excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so where, where are you located in the world today? Uh-huh. I am in the beautiful, rainy uh, Columbus, Ohio. Oh. I haven't seen the sun much in a few weeks, so yeah. I can't complain. It's not like a horribly cold winter so far, but it's just so dreary and so rainy far. and gloomy. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm in Ohio. It's after, yeah. after like 20 days of that, it's like it starts mm-hmm. to become wearing. Now, are you from mm-hmm. Columbus or did, you, or did you move yeah. in there on purpose? No, I am from Columbus. Um, and, yep. And you've always lived there? Well, I went to grad school at UD. I went to OU for undergrad, which is down in Athens, Ohio. And then I went to University okay. of Dayton for grad school. And then I stuck around uh, a couple years in Dayton, started my career there. And then my husband and I decided to move back to Columbus to be closer to some family and friends. So we landed back here. Yeah. So other than the occasional three weeks of gloomy rain, you, you love it there. I do. I wish we had mountains. So I've always yeah. been a little regretful that we never moved out west. But it is yeah. my favorite vacation spot to go out west. So, yeah. yeah. It's good to visit. Here for a while. Good to visit. Yeah. Now, Beth, how do you guys know each other? Well, I just bumped into Missy very recently um, through Connected social circles on Instagram um, mm-hmm. found her because she is a stellar pelvic PT and she was talking about the things I love to talk about and mm-hmm. um, also connected with her because we have similar faith backgrounds and that's a really unique thing to find. It's hard to find Got it. Yeah, people who unique. are doing what we do um, and kind of breaking taboos in this department. So also yeah, she yeah. is a twin mama and we're going to talk about twin, twin mama. recovery so, so, uh, so that, so is that what we want to dig into today with the, with yes. Missy is the whole uh-huh. concept of twins and twin pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So in the mm-hmm. pre-show we were, we were talking about what was different and I was like, there's two, not one. That's what's different. <laughs> but I'm guessing there's that two things that are different about a twin pregnancy. <laughs> so, so yeah, the yeah, word so, efficiency so Missy, was used. <laughs> yes. Twin pregnancies is the most efficient way to get two children, I think. Um, so, Missy, tell us a little bit about the, the background here. What, so, um, how old are the twins, and you know, how, how did you get to this spot where you're on this podcast with us talking about twin pregnancy? Well, I, my twins are two years old. They are both girls. Um, they turned two in September, so we're coming close on two and a half years old. Um, and I was a regular orthopedic therapist, regular, um, 
and I had a lot of trouble getting pregnant. So I just really started getting interested in infertility and um, what it's all about and why people have infertility. And then I started getting really into, you know, why is the pelvic floor physical therapy over here and orthopedic physical therapy is over here and we aren't mm -hmm. like meshing the two together. And I found it just like fascinating that we're keeping it separate, but the pelvic floor is part of the body and it's, a muscle yeah. and that we're not addressing it with our regular orthopedic patients and then being that I got pregnant with twins um started having a lot of men issues you know orthopedically mm -hmm. pelvic floor you know all of that and I was just like I gotta figure this out because there's not enough people doing this there's not enough information out there so I just started researching right. all that I could right. and I kind of luckily was going through it myself which is helpful when you're trying to learn something um you know so mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I kind of started my career um path more towards the pelvic floor stuff when I was pregnant with the with the twins so what is orthopedic physical therapy can you define that for us yeah um good question I would say orthopedic physical therapy is just any musculoskeletal injury um okay so, yeah, like any, any joint, um, strain, sprain, back pain, neck pain, you know, all your common okay. things, as opposed to um, neurophysical therapy, which would be more like your strokes, your TBIs, um, your neurological um, diseases. So orthopedics okay. is, is just more related to the musculoskeletal system um, in an outpatient type setting. Okay, got it. Yeah, got that's it. great. Yeah. Hmm. So my main question that I I'm like I I always want to jump ahead. I always want to like go right into the meat of things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's true. I'm like don't do it. It's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Well, is it worse? Is it worse and harder on your body to carry twins? And, and is the recovery harder and worse? I think I know the answer to this. But hearing yeah. from somebody who has your level of expertise and qualification, who's also experienced twin pregnancy, is awesome. So I really am keen to get your insight on this thing. Yeah. Well, I guess I can't fully give my opinion on if it's worse since I've never had a singleton. Um, and people laugh at us twin moms when we say singleton because that's just like the lingo that we use. But yeah, <laughs> I haven't had a single pregnancy, so I can't compare it to anything. It's the only pregnancy I've ever had, and it was brutal and horrible. Um, so yes, in my opinion, <laughs> and based on the other twin pregnancies and and friends and patients that I've experienced, it's it is a lot worse. It is double of everything you can imagine, double wow. the, um, <laughs> double the, um, nausea, double the morning sickness, mm. double the heartburn, like everything is just escalated because you have twice as many hormones going on. You're, you are literally building two children, um, mm. inside of you. So it, it is a lot more toll on your body. And then if you think about a normal singleton, um, you know, we could average like eight pounds maybe like seven eight pounds inside of you plus the placenta so everyone's carrying around a good eight nine pounds inside of them and they have a baby usually 
you know, and then um, the average for twins is more like, even if they're five pounds each, and that's on the low end, um, you got 10 pounds of baby in you plus placentas, potentially two if you have um, fraternal twins, you have two sacks and two mm -hmm. placentas. So it's a lot of weight. So I was carrying around, mine were on the bigger side, mine were six, um, three and five, 13, and those are kind okay. of like big for mm -hmm. twins. And yeah. so with their combined weight, plus probably about four or five pounds with a placenta, I was carrying around like 15 pounds of stuff inside wow. of me. So it's a lot on That's your a body. That's a lot of pressure on your kind of hard. Yeah. It's a lot on, on your core and on your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of pressure. So yeah, I would wow. say, you know, just with my experience and even just with patients, um, it's generally worse than a singleton pregnancy. But not for everyone. Some people have great twin pregnancies and they're like, Oh, no big thing. I'm like, You're crazy. But it was it was not so <laughs> yeah. pleasant for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. A lot more complications lot. usually, like a lot of, you know, there's a reason that you deliver twins early. They don't let you go be beyond 38 weeks, um, whereas normal goes to 40. And a lot of people end up delivering somewhere between 36, 37 weeks because some some sort of complication ends up happening, whether it's high blood pressure or preeclampsia or you just, you mm -hmm. can't carry the load anymore, like your cervix ends mm -hmm. out or something ends up happening where most of the time you end up delivering early, but there's a good number of right. women that are able to carry all the way to 38 weeks. So mm -hmm. it's highly dependent on <clears throat> the body. Okay. So, so as a professional, um, you know, with, with the background that you have going into this, what, what was, what, well, first of all, what did you do to prepare? Uh, and then the mm -hmm. second kind of follow-up question to that is, what was kind of outside what you expected, even though you yeah. were a more prepared than average, you know, person with twins? Yeah. Yeah. You're asking how I prepared for pregnancy. Yeah. How, how did you prepare knowing that you were headed into a pregnancy with twins? And then also, you know, what was kind of su surprising and, and outside of your preparation that you weren't really expecting? Yeah. Um, I would say everything was outside of what I was expecting. <laughs> I can't say that I like prepared other than the fact that I've just always been a very avid fitness person. I was, I was pretty right. probably at my like peak of doing CrossFit when I got pregnant with the twins. So I was a little naive just to think like, I'm strong. I'll be able to work out through the whole pregnancy. Like this is not going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Like this is right. going to be fine. Like I'm strong and I'm ready. And, you know, I compare it to women that don't exercise or don't have any, any strength to kind of support that increasing load as they get pregnant. And so I thought I'd be good, but I was not correct on that. I think I was better than I would have been had I not been strong right. and doing core exercises and, um, and all that. But I definitely learned a lot through the pregnancy about like, well, I really need to step back, modify, yeah. um, and learning what, you know, that you really have to listen to your body and, and right. not do what your normal is. I remember, um, towards the end of my pregnancy, well, I got put on modified bed rest at 33 weeks and my 
physician made me stop um, work because as a physical therapist, she was like, you, you're on your feet all day. Like you're, you're right. done. And I was like, no, right. it's fine. I can keep working. And she's like, you cannot keep working. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do for another month? And everyone's like, just rest, just enjoy it. Just stay home and lay on the couch. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm so uncomfortable. That's like the last thing I want to do. Um, but I had to keep my steps at 2,500 steps a day or less. Um, or I was in like excruciating pain and swollen wow. beyond belief. And it's just like, it's so funny now to look back at that and be like, you know, a normal adult is, you know, supposed to get like 10,000 steps a day. And I was to the point where I was like, could barely do a fourth of that. Um, wow. And that just like puts it in perspective of like how much you really have to back off and, and be aware of, of what you're doing and what you're creating inside of you and that your body cannot tolerate what, you know, you think that it maybe should be able to. Yeah. Wow. Let's talk about, I'd like to hear a little bit about maybe the mental side of that, because as a, as a very capable, very in shape fitness professional type person mm-hmm. to find yourself in a situation where you're like, like kind of what you just said, I had to limit myself to only one fourth of what the average person is supposed to do in yeah. a day. And mm-hmm. that is probably already far below what you were normally used to. So what does that do to your kind of mental state? Like how you view yourself and like maybe my body's letting me down or did you have those kind of feelings and thoughts? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone, everyone gets uncomfortable in the third trimester and especially that last, <laughs> I would say months, like everyone is just over it. They hate it. And so I have, I have that empathy now to my pregnant patients that come in and they're just uncomfortable and they're swollen and they're like not sleeping well. And they're like, I don't know how you did it with two. And I'm like, I don't either, but you just do it. You just every, I, I cried a lot. There's a lot of crying every night. Cause you sleep terrible. And so, you know, like going to bed that like, here goes another night of like sleeping horribly and being woken up mm-hmm. every other hour with, um, I was having horrible Braxton Hicks that were just like these sharp pains in my belly that would wake Mm -hmm. me up all through the night. And you're just, it's so mentally, like I said, everyone was like, this is your last opportunity to be home alone and relax and do like anything you want, like read a book and watch a series on Netflix and do it. And I was just like, you're so done with it. Like I was, I was really looking for every excuse to just have them. And I kept trying to convince myself that like they were cooked enough. And that if we could get to 36 weeks, I would be good. And I was like, please let this be like a reason for us, to, for them to come early. And ever kept being like, Missy, it's a blessing that you're carrying them this long. You know, so mm-hmm. then there's like that mental battle of like, right. you want to feel grateful. Like there's so much worse. There's twin moms that are like, they have to live in the hospital for six, seven weeks and be monitored right. 24 seven. Oh, and I was like, okay, I have to put this in perspective. Like I'm on modified bed rest, but I can still like go out to dinner with my husband and I can still be in my own bed and I'm not stuck at the hospital and everything, everyone's healthy. So you kind of have to just keep reminding yourself of that, but then you sometimes feel, you know, guilty because wow. you're very grumpy and you're, and you're, <laughs> And you're over it. Very and I didn't I wasn't I wasn't a good patient. Like she put me on modified bed rest and I went to CrossFit the day before I had the girls. And I just wrote the bike, but still 
Wow. I cannot. I was like, (laughs) she didn't give me enough guidelines. So I was like, this is not a time. Nice. I just did it gently. Wow. I was like, I need more guidelines. Can I walk through Costco? Like, what is modified bed rest? And she's like, no. Costco, no. (laughs) Like, not the grocery store. Costco, no. But CrossFit, no problem. Right? No problem. Yeah. Wow. Well, and that just that just um, highlights that we need more guidelines in general. Pregnancy yeah. needs more guidelines, but but we also mm-hmm. can't cross the line of of being so restrictive and so structured that women don't have freedom to still move in ways that make them feel good and keep them mentally healthy while they're pregnant. Yeah, we don't uh, care, is, care people. Right. Like you know, right. back in the in the nineties, the big thing was oh. Keep your heart rate below 140 beats per minute. I and know. I remember being pregnant, you know, in the early 2000s and thinking, well, gosh, if I walk, I just goes up to 140. But I feel right. fine. And, I know. and right. other times as right. I got further along, I was like, I can't even get it up to 140 because I was in such good shape. It just, it just mm-hmm. kind of fluctuated. I'm like, that's not a good measure. That's not a good guideline. Yeah. No. It really doesn't right. tell me very much about... very variable by p- people. Right. Right. So I... And it tends to be really, higher in pregnancy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But if you've got an athlete, it's going to be lower. So then how is that a good gauge? Eh. Um, yeah. Obviously, I am fixated. We are fixated here on to be on, you know, core fitness and core health and and... As you look at those big markers of core function in pregnancy, which in my mind, the two glaring ones are diastases and pelvic floor function, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are really good um, barometers of what is going on and how pressure is being managed. When you look back at your twin pregnancy, do you feel like you were informed enough? Is there things you would have done differently? Oh, yeah, totally. I was still um, not even well-versed on diastasis when I was pregnant. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I started seeing the coning, you know, and when I was pregnant, and I was like, whoa, that looks pretty crazy. <laughs> and, again, had I not been a physical therapist to educate myself on what it was and, like, oh, this right. is actually, you know, obviously it's a normal thing that happens during pregnancy is the, the separation of the mm-hmm. rectus abdominis. But the fact that we can just help control it with our breath right. and with modifying how we move. And mm-hmm. um, I wasn't even as knowledgeable, you know, three years ago when I was pregnant to know all of that. And so mm-hmm. that is like kind of been my huge um, thing that I've been sh- trying to recover from is my diastasis got pretty bad. But again, with, with twins, your belly grows exponentially and so I've had to rehab that and I was super frustrated with the knowledge out there the lack of knowledge out there to mm-hmm. know what to do with my core and what exercises were good and what exercises were bad and what was making it worse and what was making it better and it, it was yeah. super frustrating so you know when I entered into postpartum I just like tried to gather every diastasis guru I could find. I did a phone call with this physiotherapist in Canada who's like Mm -hmm. a specialist and I just wanted to like absorb and learn all that I could because I was like, I Mm -hmm. need this 
And if I need this, so many other women need this and I need to be yeah. able to, to help them. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like I was prepared enough, um, in terms of that. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to dig into a little bit of this kind of this concept that we hear a lot when we're talking to people that are going through various things like a pregnancy or a twin pregnancy and mm-hmm. they just get this advice that, Oh, that's, that's common. That's common. That's common. Or sometimes that's normal, but yeah. um, just because things are common doesn't necessarily mean they're normal or exactly. they might be normal called normal because they're common, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the way it should be. And I think a lot of right. times we just accept, oh, well, everybody has that problem. So I guess it's okay. I shouldn't worry about it. And that's really not mm-hmm. true. And that's kind of what I hear you saying is there needs to be, we need to be doing a better job in the professional space of educating. Yeah. But can you talk a little bit about how that affected you in your, in your particular journey? Yeah, I just think, you know, if we could inform women in pregnancy and I think it all comes back to um, we just need to get more awareness out there that pelvic floor and core focused physical therapists can help prevent some of these things from happening. And I still have people that don't understand that. And I'll tell them like, Oh, you're pregnant. You better get your butt to a physical therapist. And they're like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not having any pain. So why do I need to go to a physical therapist? And I'm like, well, with pregnancy, it's not, I'd rather you come early before you're in pain. Let me teach you like ways to manage. Yeah. It it needs to be like, we need to change the, the understanding that, you know, pregnancy is going to be this total change, the most dramatic change anybody's going to go through with their body. Yeah. Um, and how we can manage that change and prevent some of these things from happening. Like, let me teach you how to take pressure off your pelvic floor. Let me teach you how to keep your core strong, even though it's separating, so that once you are postpartum, you're not dealing with the continuous separation. Um, Right. I really feel like if we could start preventing some of these things or giving pregnant women more knowledge, then it would help prevent a lot of these postpartum diagnoses that are coming back to us, you know, six, right. 12, right. or even 10 years down the road, um, if mm-hmm. we could get at them in pregnancy, uh, I think we would save a lot of people from some of these issues. Well, and we know quantitatively, evidence-based now, that a woman's pregnancy and postpartum experiences will impact her menopause down the road. Yes. They will. If she doesn't get the right kind of nourishment, recovery, rest, um, rebuilding, rehab um, to her core pelvic floor, if she doesn't rebuild her bones, um, mm-hmm. like with the nourishment, calcium deposits, there is a lot. Um, then how she hits menopause, <clears throat> enters menopause, and goes through menopause will be dramatically worsened. Um, and that, that, it makes so much logical sense. Right, especially yeah. when you when you start looking at mothers that have had multiple pregnancies, so their body takes right. multiple hits. Maybe one one of those pregnancies is a twin pregnancy. I know a woman that's had three sets of twins. She just has twins. Whoa, um, that and, is crazy. Uh, yeah, she it's it, it's incredible. She has made good. She's made good recovery, but she's had really good support. 
Um, and I've yeah. been part of that support and other people have been part of that support. And I, I just, again, I always go back to that because it's, it's just so the missing piece. There's this attitude. Um, and I'm going to call, I'm going to call out some of the faith-based communities on this one. There's this attitude of, um, <laughs> well, it's, it's normal to have babies and it's part of your sacrifice. And it's just your duty as a woman to have kids. And if you fall apart, that's, that's just part of it. It's just part of being a woman, part of Eve's mm-hmm. curse, it's part of, you know, just laying yourself yeah. on this altar of having kids. And so, therefore, it's also normal to have the asses. It's normal to pee your pants. It's normal to have low back pain. And that's just your lot in life mm-hmm. as a woman. And I call, I'm going to call BS to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a little um, so, Because I, I, just, I just don't think that that actually was part of these first and I don't think that that's scientific and I don't think that that makes creationary or evolutionary sense to yeah. have the person who's making kids fall apart. It, that doesn't right. work in the long run. Exactly. That doesn't help us. Well, and it doesn't, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really fit in with like being a good caretaker of those children either. Like, right. like you, you get destroyed and then that's going to lower your ability to be as an effective mother as you can be. So it, it mm-hmm. might seem kind of like. It plays um, into mental health so much, you know? Yeah. I mean, it might seem kind of noble to, to be, to be the martyr and say, Oh, it's okay. But the, the truth is, is that if you want to be the best mother to these, to the, to the kids, then you got to be strong and healthy. And so like paying attention to that is, is totally appropriate. It's not right. You know, you should pay attention to that stuff first, put you, you know, we always use the same example, put your oxygen mask on first. So you don't pass out, exactly. you put the oxygen mask on the person next to yes, you. Right. It's a great example. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you, have you, I'm sure you have, but can you give us an example? Um, obviously without any name, but like of the time, that you dealt with, you know, these taboos getting in the way of somebody, um, especially among twin moms, because I, I think that it cannot be double everything, right? So it may even be double that that's normal. You had twins. It, you had twins, therefore, huh? oh, well, that's just how it's going to be, sweetie. Yeah. Right. Have you run into that? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's pressure on every mom to, to breastfeed, I think, in society, nowadays but um i have a lot of twin moms that feel a lot of pressure to breastfeed both of their babies and Hmm. um it is so hard to have enough milk for two babies that continually need more milk as they get bigger um and the self-care just goes completely out the window because you're literally having to nurse pump every Hmm. feeding every two hours like around the clock and I don't know you just you have these two children that you just think your only job is to provide nourishment for them um yeah and we just and there are some taboos around talking about that too like so for the for the the woman who is struggling to do all the things and have the energy and 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 hurting, her back is hurting, and she's peeing her pants, and she's also having trouble feeding her baby. Mm-hmm. And then how does she even know to seek help? Mm-hmm. Right. That there is I have a, that. Um, she's being told it's normal. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have a patient right now who's 
pregnant with her second. She has a very bad diastasis from her first mm-hmm. pregnancy and an umbilical hernia. And now she's pregnant mm-hmm. with her second one and she's having a lot of back pain. She's nearing the end of her pregnancy, but her husband even did say to her, um, do you really need to go? Because you're almost done with the pregnancy. Like, do you really need to go see her? Because they were having trouble with childcare. She'd stay at home mom. She didn't want to bring the toddler with her to her appointments, mm-hmm. which is a huge barrier for a lot of women. That, that is I a barrier. See. Like, they, they don't have childcare. They try to bring these babies and toddlers to their appointments, and we try to just make it work. Um, but not having childcare was like a hindrance for them. So her husband's like, do you really need to go to physical therapy? And luckily she was adamant and was like, yes, I need to go. Like I need this. Um, he's like, you know, you didn't have it with the first pregnancy. And I'm like, and she has a diastasis. And of course that's why she needs mm-hmm. this even more because she didn't have it the first time. So, uh, but the pressures from even spouses, unfortunately, like if they don't understand Mm-hmm. the necessity of it, you know, it just feels like an annoyance well, or, you know, inconvenience. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, Chris, what would you say to that guy? Well, I would, I would be careful to be too harsh on, on, uh, the spouse because, um, however, whatever level of uneducation that, uneducated status the pregnant mom is the spouse is an order of magnitude more uneducated so it's really easy right. to be, oh, what a jerk i can't believe self-centered you know cheap but whatever but the reality is, is that <laughs> that's true sometimes there's definitely okay. spouse problems um but i think a lot of the time it really comes back to a lack of education like yeah totally we don't know we, we don't we, know we, we yeah. People just need to be far more educated. So, you know, that's what I would probably mm-hmm. say. I'd probably be, go easy on the guy and say, hey, here's yeah. what we're really up against. And my guess is is that um, she didn't do a good job educating him because she wasn't that educated. And the first pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, neither one of them were educated. And so if you, if you look oh, at the context of that and you say, hey, well, you didn't need this the first time. Like, you know, do you really need this? Like, that's actually reasonable. It only seems unreasonable yeah. to you guys because you've been pregnant and been there, and you're like, what the heck? Are you kidding what me? What the heck? Um, but, you know, I think the biggest problem is the fact that people just don't know, and they go to yeah. their healthcare provider who's supposed to have the right answers, and then they have yeah. dumb answers, incomplete answers, and sometimes wrong, incorrect information, and mm-hmm. if you don't know how, if you don't know that as the first time pregnant, you know, soon to be mom, how would you even know to question that? You wouldn't. Right. So that's right. where and the real problem is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so love, what do you um, think, Missy, is the most important thing? Oh, but go ahead. But, but say what you're going to say, but then tell us. I love inviting the men to the session. Um, mm-hmm. I have people bring their spouse all the time, especially pregnant women. And when it comes uh, getting awesome. near to their labor and delivery, I'll have them bring their spouse and I'll teach them just some, you know, ways that they can help their, um, spouse through labor and delivery. And the men seem yeah. to love it. They feel like a little more empowered. They feel like more mm-hmm. useful, like that they're going to actually be able to help, you know, their wife who's in pain, um, 
So I mm-hmm. always try to get my pregnant women to bring their spouse at some point um, to physical therapy, and it usually goes pretty well. So they do you find that the beginning, some, but I win them over. Do you? Do you? I'm curious. I have a suspicion. Do you see that sometimes the pregnant uh, woman is reluctant to bring their spouse in because they feel like maybe they want to be strong enough? Do you see that? Um. I don't see that a ton. And once I explain why I think they yeah, should bring their spouse and just that they're, you know, once they're in their labor delivery mode, that they're kind of in like a primal, like animal state of mind, that it's nice <laughs> to have somebody that is not going through what they're going yeah. through to, to, to be the sounding board and to help them make decisions and things. So once I tell them that and just say like, this is just going to help you, feel more comfortable if you don't have a doula and you don't have any other support system. If your spouse is your support, I think you should bring them to a session and they're usually really on board with it. Um, Sometimes I have a little reluctance from the husband, but once they get there, we're pretty Mm -hmm. good. So I just usually bring them one session. So my OB gave me the chance to, I mean, yeah, bring your husband along. And, And once they did, they piled around like old buddies. It was almost annoying. Um, <laughs> I was like, hey, over here, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> um, but before that, I I felt reluctant to take him up on that because um, it felt vulnerable. It felt yeah. like I don't know if I want my husband to see me from that angle yet. Let's mm-hmm. just save that for the crowning moment, maybe. You know, I don't know if I want him in on all the exams. Yeah, all patients and you know, because I, I have not experienced that yet, and it, it is vulnerable. But he, mm-hmm. it was great, and it really, like you said, it's empowering, um, and it it was good. And I, looking back, wish I had done that sooner. But back to twin pregnancies. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, topic. Like the, what are the most important considerations do you think when it comes to twin pregnancy as it impacts? The core. Um, well, I think the diastasis is probably the biggest thing. Um, I don't, you know, of course we have no research on, on pregnant people because we don't do research on pregnant people. Mm-hmm. But I would assume if we did do research, we would find more diastases happening from twin pregnancies, probably more prolapses happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, well, any of the pressure management problems, which are both prolapse mm-hmm. and BRAs. So I would say when I have a twin pregnant mom, I just really try to educate them on how to manage that pressure um, through mm-hmm. the pregnancy. You know, how to engage that deep transverse abdominis muscle, how to synchronize it to their um, breathing, how to get pelvic floor working for them and not against them, how to avoid mm-hmm. overstraining, bearing down, um, holding their breath, things like that, mm-hmm. so that they don't cause more issues for themselves during the pregnancy. And just letting them know that, you know, they will likely get, um, they will, you know, their abdominal tissue is going to stretch far beyond. Stretch, yeah. 
you know, it's amazing what the skin can do. And, you know, we'll deal with the skin elasticity after. But, you know, getting them as prepared as possible and then preparing them for labor and, like, how they can best deliver the babies if they're going to Mm -hmm. be doing it vaginally, how they can avoid um, straining and bearing down. Um, I teach, like, I'm, like, never, when they tell you to hold your breath and push, like, you're going to kindly decline and say, I'm going to exhale while I push. Because Mm. we need to exhale while we're, we need to breathe the babies out, not Valsalva maneuver these babies out. Um, because that's just putting so much more pressure on the pelvic floor and yeah. on the on the weakened abdominal muscle um, or connective tissue. So I teach them a lot about yeah, labor and delivery techniques so that they don't make it worse for themselves afterwards. So I really talk about breathing right. um, during the pushing phases and what mm-hmm. positions are optimal um, for letting the babies come out as naturally as they can, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's That's a really good tip about the breathing and not holding your breath. Mm -hmm. You know, in the labor and delivery ward, they're there to get the baby out quick. And you know what? Holding your breath and bracing and bulging down works pretty good. But the thing is, your tissues are, that gets the baby out, but it doesn't take into consideration all the things going on in your body. Yeah. And how your tissues need time to stretch and adapt during the birth exactly. process. Exactly. And what's yeah, unfortunately we've just developed uh we've developed like a, a model of delivering babies that is safest for the baby and that's fantastic. Like we've saved we've you know, with a with westernized medicine we've saved so many babies that maybe wouldn't have got out otherwise. Um but they don't deliver babies no. like this in other countries. And, and our maternal maternal rate is higher. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have our C-section rate is way higher than any other country. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, why are we all of a sudden needing all these C-sections? Are we, like, jumping to mm-hmm. C-section too early? Are yeah. we not, like, letting the body sure. actually process what's happening? Um, right. And any time there's any sort of alarm bell going off, like they intervene. So there's like a ton of intervention happening and we're not just letting the body like do what it's supposed to do. And and sometimes that means more time. And unfortunately we don't always give the mom more time because it's not usually about the mom at that point. It's about the baby, unfortunately. Yeah. And I would prefer it to be a little more balanced, um, between keeping the mom healthy and, and safe. And the baby. Mm-hmm. So that's my little soapbox on labor and delivery. Do you think that pelvic floor therapy and, you know, core rehabilitation, especially during a twin pregnancy, can help improve the outcome with vaginal delivery? I do. Yeah, I really do. I, um, I took a course from Lynn Schulte out in Colorado and she's great yeah and she teaches some really awesome techniques for getting the pelvis um open she calls it like the open birthing pattern so we worked a lot on like making sure the uterus is mobile symmetrical like making sure the ligaments aren't pulling the uterus either way um Mm -hmm. getting the, the pelvis to open um and she has seen like 
such great results with getting these women to deliver um, more naturally and preparing mm-hmm. their body. So I really believe, and I, I've seen it with a lot of what I've been doing, the manual work I've been doing with moms up until their delivery dates. Um, and teaching them the, these techniques, we're seeing less tearing, we're seeing less trauma Good. to the mom. Good. So, Which means a faster yeah. recovery. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying like you should be able to go without an epidural. Like I think that should be the mom's decision if they, if they need drugs or not. But I just let them know that the epidural is going to hinder their ability to feel anything, obviously, but hinder their ability to feel um, the baby and, and like what the baby needs and how you and the baby can communicate together, which is getting Mm -hmm. a little focusy, focusy on on it but I really believe that if you can feel all that stuff you can have a more successful birth and if you can breathe it out breathe the baby out we're seeing less herring um and if we can get in better better positions so I don't love the the like the recumbent like lay on your sacrum laying back position it doesn't allow your sacrum to move it pins your sacrum down and then you mm-hmm. don't get any movement there. So it's not yeah. my favorite position. And those rules apply whether it's a twin pregnancy yeah. or a single twin, as you said, because the laws of gravity and bio biomechanics and all that still very much right. apply. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, if you deliver two babies, you're, you're having a lot more trauma to your pelvic floor, um, mm-hmm. obviously. So... I would say that that probably is a little bit increased. You have it's a double whammy, like skinning your knee and doing it again. Yeah, and they might <laughs> and you might not tear the exact same way because they might not come out the exact same way. So if you right. tear yeah. a little bit to the left with the first one, but then the second one comes out and you tear a little bit straight down, or I don't know if you get an episiotomy, like you could just have more trauma because you can't guarantee they're going to come out the exact same way, or the most unfortunate yeah. would be that you deliver the first baby vaginally and then um, second baby goes into distress and you have to go in for a C-section for the second one. So that's why a lot of twin moms choose the C-section route from the beginning because mm-hmm. of the, mm-hmm. the higher chance that you're going to have one vaginal, one C-section. And then, you mm-hmm. know, your OB usually is like, do you want to recover from both? And my <laughs> answer was No. Sometimes, now that I know what I know, I kind of wish I had tried vaginal, even though I had baby B with breach. So mm-hmm. I was kind of swayed by my doctor to go the C-section route from the beginning. Because she mm-hmm. was um, not sure she could flip baby B um, after we got the first one out. So then, the, you know, the risk of recovering from both would be there. So it's a yeah. tough call when you have twins because baby B can go breach all the way up until the last minute, and then you have to make that yeah. decision if you want to try vaginal or or not. Wow. Mm. There's a That's lot in pregnancy and a really good discussion. Yeah. There's obviously yeah. a yeah. lot more. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Missy, this has been uh, very educational. I think that what we started off with, which is everything is twice as much, is proved uh-huh. to be true throughout the discussion. <laughs> There's just a lot. Yeah, um, it's a lot. 
thank you for thank you for hanging out on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yeah, we will put all of your information into the show notes. Um, okay. So link links to everything. We'll put it in there. But where would you like people to find you if they want to learn more about what you do and in your journey? Um, I'm most frequent on the Instagram, so I'm okay. at twin twinmama.pelvic.pt, and I try to just put a content out there that help women understand that you know, recovering from a diastasis or any other pelvic floor injury is, is a thing and that it needs yeah. help. And I, so I created a postpartum core program for people um, to That's help so good. with their postpartum recovery. So yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram. That's okay. awesome. So find, find Missy there. And then uh, one question we always ask everyone is, what is your favorite exercise right now? Today, right oh, now today. That, that is tough. What did I do today at the gym? Um, I mean, my favorite exercise, I think, is a split squat or like a, like a, like a, you know, rear leg split squat. That's my favorite. It's so good for you. It's good for Wait, you. Wait, I need you to demonstrate that. Can you demonstrate that really quick? Oh, well, I can try. You know, it just means, you know, if you put your back leg up on something, um, so okay, like a bench, got it. put your back leg on yeah. a bench, and then I usually hold, um, I, do, I like it mm. with a bar, so I put a bar on my back, but doing, it's basically nice. just a static lunge, but I like doing okay. rear elevated foot squats or single leg deadlifts are my favorite. Nice. Yeah. It's just so if you're listening, if, if you guys like, if you guys are listening to the uh, the podcast on Apple, you've got to head over to the website and watch <laughs> the video so you can see the the split squat demo. Yeah. So that's all glutes, baby. That's some good glutes. Yes, <laughs> I love the glutes. All the yeah, good. Awesome. Big muscle thank you. Groups. Well, Missy, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Awesome yes, podcast. thank you for having and, me. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. We'll put all the stuff in the show notes. If you're if you're not following us, make sure and follow us to hear more amazing radio, fit to be radio programs like this one with Missy. So anyway, um, we'll see you guys around. Bye. Bye. All right, that's a wrap, friends and fans. Be sure to check out the links attached to this episode and subscribe to Fit to Be Radio on iTunes. Oh, and remember those workouts we mentioned in the show? You can access them all on fitsby.com if you join as a member. I recommend premium access. It's the best deal. We'd also appreciate your follows, likes, comments, and shares on Instagram at fit2bstudio, on Facebook at fit2b Tony Safe Fitness, and on Twitter at fit2b.